Dallas Cowboys show once again that they cannot win a big road game with another test coming on Sunday. That's one of the few takeaways of a week 15 in the NFL. Steph Curry's three-point streak is over. Another three-point streak was made in Sacramento. And Giannis Attentacumpo gets a game ball that he could relish. On the latest of what's happening in the association, on the ice, things are rather chill, but a key injury to a top goaltender out west could cause a shift in the conference. The Dodgers add another piece to their rotation as they look to put a stranglehold on the offseason with possibly one more big pitcher in sight. It's just about time to get festive as we're on the brink of another holiday season. Here to spread some cheer and jeer is none other than your favorite little podcast host detailing the latest of what's happening in sports. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, Michael people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We're just a week away from Christmas, people. And then the week after that, the new year. You know the vibes as we get to celebrate the final couple of weeks of 2023. In the meantime, let's uncover all that's taken place over the past few days in the world of sports and beyond. And even in the days ahead as this. Is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And as we get ready to put to rest a week 15 in the NFL, we get that much more closer to the end of the season. Now, three weeks left. You have a big game tonight between Philadelphia and Seattle. And who knows what the status of a one Jalen Hurts is going to be because. He's been suffering from an illness. His status has now been downgraded as I believe he could be doubtful as early as this very moment as I'm recording this here Monday morning. But for the Eagles who now have a big game tonight because if they're able to win, they'll put themselves in good stead in the NFC East based on what happened yesterday in Buffalo. And we'll talk a little bit more about Philadelphia and Seattle later, but The one big takeaway that I have from yesterday, and it was the best game of the day as we know, and for the Cowboys to go up to Buffalo, and it wasn't 20 degrees with 40 mile an hour winds, and in the middle of a snowstorm, single digits, etc. 
Not to say that it was a balmy 70, sunny, and real relaxed and comfortable to play a football game, but you have to look at this Cowboy team if you do not have enough evidence, whether it was in San Francisco earlier this year or even in Philadelphia last month, what more do you need to see if you're a Cowboy fan to really believe that this team can win not only just a big game on the road, but what about a playoff game on the road? And yesterday, they just got beaten from start to finish. James Cook just ran down their throats. Their defense was swarming and played great. Dak Prescott didn't even throw for 100 yards and he was midway through the fourth quarter. And that's all you need to know about the game yesterday up in Orchard Park. 31-10, it was actually 31-3 Buffalo before the Cowboys got that cosmetic touchdown there. CeeDee Lamb diving into the end zone on a rush. And I've said this before, and I'll say it one more time. I do not believe or trust this Cowboy team on the road. Now, mind you, if they are a five seed, and as of right this second, with the Eagles having to play their game tonight, and remember, both teams were tied going into yesterday, so with the Cowboys losing, and if the Eagles do happen to win tonight, they'll have that game advantage in the division, and if the Cowboys become a five seed similar to what they were last year, It looks like they may be going to Tampa based on what the Buccaneers did yesterday. But be that as it may, whether it's Tampa, New Orleans, or even Atlanta, the Cowboys will play the NFC South. And I don't want to hear that being a big road win or road game for the Cowboys because we saw them beat Tampa last year in that same setting to where they went to San Francisco and we knew what happened then. So I don't want to hear them winning a wildcard game and then going into the divisional round where that means either Philadelphia or San Francisco, and then losing, I don't care if it's by one point or by 50, I can't really trust, my gut will tell me that the Cowboys are going to prevail in a big spot like that. And yesterday was their time to do so. Not to say that they had to blow out the Bills or at least have a scenario where it was going to be a rocking chair type of game where let's say if they walked out of whatever the name of that stadium is, New Era Stadium or Highmark Stadium, whatever uh, these stadiums and their names. But if they would have come out of that game, let's say even with a 28-21 type of game where you could have felt that, oh, now I could at least maybe believe that this team could win on the road in a big spot. You didn't even get an inkling of that. To me, the game was over by the half. It was 21-3. James Cook, I believe, just rushed for another first down and maybe tacked on another TD. That Cowboy, not only just their defense, offense, all facets of what you saw there yesterday was uninspiring and actually jaw-dropping to the point where it's going to make you think and believe that they are not going to be able to cut the mustard if they don't get a two-seed, win a division, and have an opportunity to play two home games and then just press your luck on whether or not they can win in Santa Clara if the chips fall in that direction for the Cowboys this year. And as it is, they have one more big road test before it's all said and done, and that is this coming Sunday in Miami. But before I get to that, I don't think there's a Cowboy fan alive that no matter how confident you may be, and I know my beloved cousin JD, who's as big as a Cowboy fan as I've ever known in my life, I'm sure he has to be disgusted by that performance. And again, why would he even think that the Cowboys will make any type of hay if they have to be a five seed and go on the road in the postseason? That was just deplorable. That was just even inexcusable. And I get it that Buffalo now has a little bit of gas in their tank. They have some life. 
And I know that that was a big game for them. I'm sure they had some Cowboy fans flock up there to see if they could witness their team winning a big road game. And as we saw, that is not the case. So let's see if those same Cowboy fans will now take the trip down to South Florida next week, which should be a very interesting contest. And it's weird because I talked about this weeks ago, how to me, the Cowboys and Dolphins mirror one another. They are both teams that play well at home. They are both teams that have potent offenses, but they are both teams that, for the life of them, cannot win a big road game. And that's what I'm going to think about this coming Sunday, whether or not the Dolphins are going to be whole because they did not have Tyreek Hill yesterday. Monday night, he suffered the ankle injury and tried to labor through that before losing to Tennessee and then coming back yesterday and just obliterating the Jets, which we'll get to in a minute. But for the Dolphins, they know that's going to be a big test. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Cowboy fans, even with it being Christmas Eve and the holiday season, I'm sure they're going to flock to Hard Rock Cafe Stadium to represent to see whether or not that they could win another test and another opportunity for them to win a road game against a big opponent. And even if the Cowboys do that, which will still be a feather in the cap if they do eke out a close win or have that rocking chair type of game or let's say, dare I even think that they could blow out the Dolphins down there in Miami Gardens. But will you still feel that this team could win on the road? Do you still feel that this team could get to a championship game on the road or even beat the 49ers who have been their thorn in the side over the last couple of years, especially in the playoffs? Obviously, we'd have to wait and see, but right this very second, as a football fan and a lifelong one at that, I don't see it. And that's how I'm going to look at the Cowboys moving forward. Even if they do beat the Dolphins. And I'll feel a little bit better about myself if they do win in Miami on Sunday. But overall, I can't say that I am 100% or even 50% confident that they could go to Philadelphia or to San Francisco and win a playoff game. So that was the one big takeaway. For me, when I look at the rest of the NFL... Yesterday in particular, especially in the AFC, you had both Houston, Buffalo obviously did their thing, but Houston had a huge win on the road in Tennessee where a missed extra point proved out to be critical and costly for the Titans on a touchdown early to where the game went into overtime, and if it wasn't because of a late touchdown there by the Texans that tied the game to make it 16-16 where they would have been trailing 17-16 and who knows how the rest of that game would have played out. But they were able to tie and then go into overtime and win the game on a 54-yard field goal. So the Texans put themselves in good stead there, not only in the wildcard race, but also in the division. Because when you look at what happened there last night in Jacksonville to where the Ravens, who weren't spectacular on offense, but they played very well defensively, And even though with Trevor Lawrence getting hurt in the game and actually being out of the game, I believe he was concussed. I didn't watch the game from start to finish. I was just involved in other things throughout the course of the day. And when I saw that they were up 17-7, I just said, "Eh, I'm not going to get too invested in this game. But the Ravens beating Jacksonville now have a three-way tie in the AFC South between the Colts, who won on Saturday against the Steelers. And I'll get to them in a little bit. You know I got, huh. Not that I'm going to spend a ton of time on that, but with the Colts, Texans, and now Jaguars all tied at 8-6, and and with the Jaguars in the midst of a three-game losing streak, 
Certainly not a good time for them to hit the skids to where now they got to fight to win a division and even fight to win an over. But you had that go on yesterday. Now Baltimore still has the one seed, 11-3, best record in the conference and a schedule that looks pretty easy for them. Although they do have to go to San Francisco Christmas night, a week from tonight, which would be fascinating when you have arguably probably the two best teams in the sport going at it there late in the season. Another big takeaway from yesterday, how about the Buccaneers? And in particular, Baker Mayfield. 381 yards, four touchdowns as he lit up the Green Bay defense to the tune of a 34-20 victory. And even though Jordan Love played pretty well, but for Baker Mayfield, who is looking to probably get another contract, I don't know if it's going to be in Tampa or elsewhere, the former number one overall pick from what, 2018, I believe. And for Mayfield to keep his team... Not only just a float, but in good stead in the NFC South as they go down the stretch with both teams, really all three teams, if you want to even look at Atlanta, now 6-8 and eight after a terrible loss in Carolina, and with New Orleans beating the Giants, pulling away in the second half there down in the Superdome, that even though both of those teams are tied, but the Buccaneers have the tiebreaker as of right to second, and New Orleans plays Tampa I believe the second to last week of the season when New Orleans will play Atlanta to wrap up their year. But give it up for what Tampa has done. Just a stupendous job there by the coaching staff. Even Todd Bowles, who we all know is a guy that you really have to question on whether or not he's going to be there long term down in Tampa. But he's done the job there and he's made the team believe. So for Mayfield to put up a big performance and probably the biggest, not only just of the year, maybe of his whole career. As the Buccaneers look to see if they could get back to the postseason, win a division, and maybe do a lot better than what they did last year under Tom Brady, if you recall, in his last year. So that's one to keep in mind when we look at the NFC South and how crazy it is when you look at both Souths in each conference. As we just talked about with Jacksonville, Houston, and Indianapolis, and now you have a scenario with Tampa, New Orleans, and then Atlanta on the fringe. So you have six teams pretty much looking for one spot, even though in the AFC, Houston couldn't make it in to the postseason as well as Indianapolis as they're currently seventh in the AFC. So you have a big race there. And when we take a look at a couple of other scenarios, Saturday you had the three games all on NFL Network where they had some impact. Cincinnati, Jake Browning, I don't know. Is that Joe Burrow making out as Jake Browning? Because he has been phenomenal Even after that bad start against Pittsburgh, since then, they've rolled to a three-game winning streak, and now they're flying high to the point where they're in the AFC playoff mix, actually currently as the sixth seed, and who knows? They have a big game against Pittsburgh this week, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but they beat Minnesota, which hurt their chances for division because of what happened later that night with the Lions beating the Denver Broncos and putting a punch to the Broncos' chances in the AFC And with the Vikings and the Lions playing two of the final three games against one another. And currently the Lions have a three-game lead in the division. So for the Lions, if they beat the Vikings, they will win the NFC North. And who knows what's going to happen with the Vikings come playoff time. But we'll break down the conferences in a little bit. So those were two big contests there where the Bengals played very well. Although they had some players injured. Who knows what's going to happen come this Saturday when they have to go to Pittsburgh to play in that 4.30 time slot where Jamar Chase may be out and T. Higgins has been hobbling. So those are two key components that are going to be out or quite possibly out for the game against Pittsburgh. 
And then right smack in the middle of that was Indianapolis and Pittsburgh where the Steelers got off to a 13-0 lead. They had a block punt, which they converted to a touchdown, not on the block punt, but on the subsequent drive. And for the Steelers who got off to that 13-0 lead, I'm thinking to myself, hey, maybe they could score 20 points and maybe the defense could hang on. But as it was, the defense started to fall apart. DeMonte Casey got thrown out of the game because I'm a vicious hit to Michael Pittman. Then you had a scenario where Minka Fitzpatrick had to leave with a knee, not the hamstring that he hurt early in the year. And the Steeler defense was falling apart. The run game, Trey Sermon and company just bulldozed the Steeler defense. And then Gardner Minshew threw for three touchdowns. Mitch Trubisky, I do not want to see him ever again. I've had enough. And we saw Mason Rudolph come in the game late. And even based on what Mike Tomlin said in the postgame, saying that there are going to be changes that are definitely going to be made. And you would think that Mason Rudolph is going to be your starting quarterback come Saturday. Because Mitch Trubisky... That last interception he threw, the first one, that was pretty much a punt. But the last one, when the Steelers were trying to hang in there, even though they were not going to win the game, was just god-awful. I've seen enough. I don't want to even look at number 10 on Pittsburgh. And if I do see a number 10, hopefully it's going to be another body that is going to be in that uniform because enough. Uh, That's it. Why they signed him to a two-year extension on top of that, to me, made no sense. I get it that they need a comparable backup, but... Mason Rudolph's been there six years. Why not? Give it to him to go along with Kenny Pickett, and that's it. And then I'll get to the Steelers a little bit more, the whole scenario with their coaching. So many people want Mike Tomlin fired, and then there are rumors about him going to Washington. Well, you know what? Let me unpack that real quick now before I move on. There have been some rumors that maybe Tomlin, although he has one more year left on his contract, but maybe thinking or even looking ahead to becoming the coach of the commanders with the new ownership that's there and him being closer to his family where he was born, raised, and from down in Hampton Roads in Virginia. There is a possibility that maybe a buyout or a trade could be in store. Now, it's unlike the Roonies to do that because you know that they've only had three coaches as long as I've been alive, as has been well documented over the years. And maybe it's time for Tomlin to step down or make a change. And I will say this, as a lifelong Steeler fan, maybe it is time. And that's no knock on Tomlin, because for those who wanted Tomlin fired after just two terrible performances against two two win teams in Arizona and New England, and I can understand that, and even after what you saw there on Saturday against the Colts, where everybody wanted Tomlin out, my first question was, who do you want to have him replaced with? Because I can't think of a decent replacement. Maybe the first guy that comes to mind is the offensive coordinator from the Lions, Ben Johnson, to maybe infuse some life into that offense as we've seen here over the last couple of years with Matt Canada. And not to knock the current offensive coordinator. And it's actually a two-headed monster, as we know. But maybe they need to have an offensive mind in there to revamp and open up the windows to get the bad air out and the good air in. But as we all know, these Steelers are going to hire defensive-minded coaches. Going back to Chuck Knoll, going back to Bill Cowher, and of course Mike Tomlin. So why would that change? Maybe they may look at it as a change to go more from an offensive mindset than defensive. It's quite possible, but who knows? We'll have to wait and see if Tomlin may be looking for the exits and going to Washington to where the Steelers may hire from within, which could be Terrell Austin, their current defensive coordinator. And that's just a guess. To me, I'm just basing it on the culture of the organization. And yes, they have hired from outside, whether it was Tomlin from Minnesota or even Bill Cowher 
in his days in Kansas City with Marty Schottenheimer. But maybe, who knows? This is all speculation on yours truly, considering that I had my fingers on the pulse of what's happening with the Steelers. But again, it's just speculation and certainly not anything that you could confirm. So now let me move on. That was the Saturday slate. As far as yesterday, Cleveland hung on for dear life. They had that Hail Mary where if Darnell Mooney would have caught that Hail Mary at the end of the game, boy, that would have been the ultimate guts punt to the Browns fan because Cleveland, as they're trying to move up, and they can't really do too much because even though they are a couple of games right now behind the Ravens, but remember, even though they split, but chances are they are not going to be a division winner when it's all said and done. But that would have just been a brutal loss. They would have come back to the pack there in the AFC playoff mix. And for them to come out of that game alive with a victory, maybe does it show that they have some intestinal fortitude or maybe just some good luck. But the Browns were able to stave off a big loss there and continue their five seed entrenched in the AFC. To stick in the AFC, I know Miami had a big bounce back game yesterday against the Jets and we can talk about that Jet defense all we want but what happened there yesterday with no Tyreek Hill I might add as they got shut out Zach Wilson was under siege got knocked out with a concussion you had Trevor Simeon come in and obviously did not do the job and for the Dolphins who needed a laugher after that just brutal loss there on Monday night against Tennessee and now they have the Cowboys coming in so that is going to be one of the big games this coming weekend as we know But for a Jet team, you don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers, who could be cleared to play against the Commanders this coming weekend in the final home game for the Jets this year. But with the Jets out of it, another losing season. I believe it's their eighth straight losing season. And now 13 years, which is the biggest drought in all of sports, not just in the NFL, but in all four major sports. A team not being able to make it to the postseason for now, a Baker's dozen. And... I understand their season went down in their fourth offensive play of the year. And I tell you, it is tough to be a Jet fan, to say the least. Then you had the Rams win, which keeps them in pace out in the NFC to see if they can squeeze in to the wildcard mix when it comes to the playoffs, beating the Commanders there 28-20. The Niners continue to roll, just pounding on Arizona to where Brock Purdy who could be an MVP candidate himself. And we can forget about Dak winning the MVP now after that performance yesterday and not that it was all his fault. But right now, it looks like it's going to be a two-horse race where it's going to be Brock Purdy or Christian McCaffrey. But Purdy came out and said that McCaffrey is the league MVP. He does everything. And yesterday was indicative of that. He had 116 yards on, what, 18 carries. Also had a bunch of catches, a million touchdowns against the Cardinals this year. I believe he had seven total touchdowns against them which is the most in a zillion years or whatever it was. But for the Niners who are just trudging along, they are certainly on a pace to get to a Super Bowl and win it. And you would actually have to think that with them being a heavy favorite to get in there and also winning, puts all the pressure on Kyle Shanahan, the coach, to finally win a Super Bowl. Because if you recall, he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta when they lost the Super Bowl to New England. Obviously the head coach there when they lost to Miami where they had a 10-point lead there halfway through and let Patrick Mahomes and company go up and down the field. And yes, I know that there was an overthrow, Jimmy Garoppolo to Emmanuel Sanders, that probably would have iced the game, but they did not come out victorious. And then now his team is on the fast track to getting not only the one seed in home field throughout the NFC, but of course to a Super Bowl. 
So I'll have to wait and see on that. And that is pretty much your entire Week 15 slate. If you want to go back to the Thursday night game, no more Brandon Staley. Thank goodness because that performance on Thursday night in Las Vegas against the Raiders was avert your eyes if you're a Charger fan. 49 nothing at one point. They lose 63-21. The coach, the GM gets jettisoned. And now all the speculation is going to be dredged up between now and I would think the middle of January to where the combination of Bill Belichick maybe coaching his final days out in Foxborough to where he could be transferred over to Southern California, which I don't see happening based on the Spanos family who runs the team and them not going to put a lot of money into the head coach. Just think about it. Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley. Huh, you mean to tell me they're going to bring in Bill Belichick and pay him, what is it, anywhere between 7 to $10 million a year, even if it is for four years? I don't think so. It would be a shock if they were to do that. But who knows what's going to happen between now and then. As I said the other day on Thursday's podcast, whatever happens with Bill Belichick, wake me up where he goes. I don't want to hear all of the scuttlebutt and the rumors and where he may go and what may happen. Uh Uh-uh. I don't want to hear that because that is going to be a story that is ad nauseum and ad infinitum. And I'm not going to be here for that. You know I'm going to follow it. You know I'm going to be on top of it. But, ugh. That is going to be laborious to say the least. And who knows? Maybe Belichick takes a year off, but we understand that the coaching gene is in him and that's all he wants to do. That's all he's ever done throughout his entire adult life. So why would that change here at the young age? What is he? I believe 71, 72. And obviously he wants to shoot for that record. Most wins by a coach ever. Don Shula, the old and longtime Dolphin coach, of course, before that with the Baltimore Colts. So... That's a story that, of course, I'll keep my eyes on, but certainly do not want to regurgitate to you guys and gals over the course of the next month or so. And that's what you have. And then tonight is a huge game. Philadelphia and Seattle, who knows what's going to happen here with the quarterback if Jalen Hurts is not going to be able to play because he has an illness. And this is a big test for the Eagles, knowing that if they win this game, They have the Giants through the next three weeks sandwiched by Arizona that they could run the table and therefore have an opportunity to have at least two home games in their building before having to go to San Francisco unless San Francisco collapses here because, and this is another thing, if the Eagles win tonight, they'll be 11-3 with the 49ers. And if they do happen to win and then run the table, They will have to keep their fingers crossed on Christmas night and hope that they can get the ultimate gift by the Ravens beating them on Christmas night because then that would mean that the Eagles will have their path and destiny in their hands to get the one seed to where they do not have to go on the road. And we saw what happened there a few weeks ago where San Francisco went into Philadelphia and just cleaned their clocks. But I'm sure they'd rather have the comforts of the fans and home cooking than having to go 3,000 miles in an NFC Championship game where nobody is going to expect or even pick them to win to go back to a Super Bowl. So that's why this game tonight is enormous. So we'll have to wait and see on whether or not Jalen Hurts is going to play. I can't say whether that is going to be the case or not. We'll have to wait and see as Buck and Aikman will be on the call. And remember, this was a game that was flexed in because this was Kansas City, New England. I know I didn't talk about the Chiefs as they beat 
New England there, and they were a little bit feisty, the Patriots early on in the game, but then the Chiefs were able to take over and win comfortably, was it 27-17, but because that game was flexed out, which would have been Kansas City and New England tonight, but now you have Philadelphia-Seattle, a much more attractive game, and Seattle just trying to hang in there with the other teams in the NFC to see whether or not that they could get in through the back door and into the postseason, and now let's get to it, let's break down both conferences as we are now just three weeks away from the end of the regular season and look forward to a postseason to see who gets to represent in the Super Bowl Allegiant Stadium out in Las Vegas. In the AFC, like I mentioned, Baltimore currently has the one, followed by Miami, two. And remember, these two teams play on New Year's Eve in Baltimore. So that game is going to be ginormous to see who's going to get home field because even if Baltimore were to lose on Monday night against the 49ers, and if Miami does beat Dallas, you'll have a situation where they'll both be tied going into that game on New Year's Eve. So that's something to keep in mind as we look down the road. Kansas City currently is your number three in the AFC at 9-5, and five, followed by Jacksonville, who's currently has, although they're tied with Houston, and Indianapolis, but they have the tiebreaker over both of those teams, so they're currently at number four, followed by Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis. And then on the outside, you have Houston, Buffalo, both at eight and six, and then you have Pittsburgh and Denver, seven and seven. After that, if you want to still call them in the hunt, which technically they are because Cincinnati does go to Pittsburgh, as I mentioned, and if Pittsburgh does beat Cincinnati, that doesn't automatically mean that they leapfrog over all these teams and get into the top seven in the conference. But what it does do is that when it comes to tiebreakers, they will have swept the Bengals this year. So this is going to be it for Pittsburgh on whether or not their playoff chances are on life support as it is. But this will be a huge boon for them to not only win their final home game, but against a divisional opponent, which they'll have tiebreakers if they do beat them. And then they have their final two games on the road at Seattle and at Baltimore. So good luck for Pittsburgh as this is going to be it for them on whether or not they're going to be relevant for the remainder of this year. And then in the NFC, as I mentioned, San Francisco, Philadelphia, are your top two seeds, followed by Detroit. Then your four seed is Tampa, currently at 7-7, seven and seven, followed by Dallas. And then Minnesota and the Rams are your six and seven seeds as of right this moment. You have New Orleans on the outside looking in as your eight seed, followed by Seattle, six and seven. So if they win tonight, and become 7-7, seven and seven. they will still be on the outside looking in because remember the Rams have swept the Seahawks twice this year. So they will have no tiebreaker advantage for them to see if they could sneak in. So they're going to need a lot of help along the way. And then you want to follow that up with Atlanta at 6-8. and eight, But of course they have the division maybe more on their sights than a wild card. And then Green Bay at 6-8 and eight, who after that tough loss to Tampa and then couple that with the Monday night loss last week to the Giants are now gasping for air to see whether or not they're going to survive here in this NFC playoff scenario. And that's what you have. On Thursday, I'll go through the schedule. We'll take a look at what's going to lie ahead as you have some more Saturday games, your Thursday night game, which is an interesting one because it is Saints-Rams. I understand not sexy, it's not, but that's going to be a game where the loser's going to leave town. If they win, they'll still hang around and still be alive to see whether or not They'll have some help and maybe some other teams come back to the pack to where they can sneak in. But we all know that whomever loses that game, they're going to be finished 
for this year. And then you have a couple of Saturday games, including a Peacock game where the Bills and Chargers to go along with the Steelers and Bengals. And then you have your slate there on Sunday as well as next Monday night. All right, now let me turn my attention to the association as I lace up my high tops and get on the hardwood as you have a couple of things come down the pike here. More of a milestone issue here when it comes to records being made and records being broken, or I should say records being halted and broken when you think about it. As far as the one streak that ended, and it was one that we figured at some point it would and we would probably guess that if there's going to be one player in the history of the sport to have the most three-pointers, and not only that, but also to hit at least one three-pointer in consecutive games, is Steph Curry. Well, that came to a halt last night against Portland. 268 games of at least one made three-pointer. And that doesn't include the finals game against the Celtics in Game 5, where I believe he went 0-9 for in that game. And that was a game where he was awful. And then, of course, we understood what happened there in Game 6 in Boston for them to win a championship. But for Curry, and as we all know, the Golden State Warriors have been floundering here with all of the cloud hovering over the team, especially in the one Draymond Green, the indefinite suspension as we talked about there on Thursday's podcast. But Curry, that streak comes to a halt at 268. So that's one for the trivia Question buffs, and let's see if he starts another one here in his illustrious career. The all-time three-pointers made in a career. Then you had Keegan Murray of the Sacramento Kings, who not only dropped a career-high 47 points, but in the process made a record straight 11 three-point field goals. And think about that. That is one that in the history of the sport, we could go through all the three-point shooters, including the aforementioned Curry, that no one has hit 11 straight threes in the, what now, 77-year history of the sport. And it's a guy that's on a team that is making its mark as a young team coming up, as we saw last year with Sacramento making it to the playoffs before losing in that 3-6 matchup to Golden State. But Keegan Murray, kudos to him on a record-setting performance. 11 straight threes, I don't care who you are. It could be me out there shooting 11 straight threes. That is an accomplishment. So kudos to him as we'll get to the Kings in a minute. And then last night, another scenario where Giannis, and I talked about him on Thursday's pod as well, where he wanted that game ball from that 64-point performance against the Pacers there, which to me, I mean, seriously, does Kobe want a ball when he scored 81 points, or did he even actually go after a game ball? If he did, it was probably in silence. Or let's say LeBron, if he hit 60 points or had an all-time Career high, is he going to run to get the game ball? Uh Uh-uh, those guys aren't going to do that. And I thought Giannis was out of line for trying to get a game ball in a meaningless regular season game. Well, this time around, I can understand why he wanted the game ball as he passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most rebounds in Milwaukee Buck history. Kareem had, I believe, 7,142 rebounds, so he eclipsed that, and that was the ball that he wanted. And that makes a lot more sense because that is a franchise record-breaking achievement where 64 points and I get it that it was an all-time high for number 34 in the green and gold but still I thought it was out of line for him to do that then but this time around I'll give it to him now he's the all-time rebounding leader in franchise history so if 
he wanted to get the ball, then kudos to him. And then you had some sad news come about where Eric Montross, the former North Carolina center who was on that 93 team that won a championship, that was the famed Chris Webber timeout game at the end down in the Superdome in the 93 season, died of cancer. And I knew that he was sick earlier this year where in March, I believe he was diagnosed and began treatment for cancer and unfortunately did not survive the battle as he departs and just sad news and we've seen that a lot here over the years where just a lot of players just succumbing to cancer and in fact I can't recall what the diagnosis was what kind of cancer that he succumbed to but he had a very good college career obviously had the crew cut if you remember the double zero was drafted by the Celtics in 94 bounced around on many teams after that did not have the pro career that he had in college but Nevertheless, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Montrose family, the NBA, North Carolina, etc. Just some sad news, not some sad, very sad news coming out of the Montrose family camp. And uh, may he rest in peace, just terrible news there. But for the rest of the association, as we look ahead, I know Christmas a week from today, they're going to have their full slate from 12 noon to about sometime past 1 a.m., but of course the NFL is going to swallow it up whole and with two bad games, I understand the 8-15 game, you're not going to get as good as a game as Baltimore-San Francisco as we've talked about, but with Giants-Philadelphia at 4-30 and then Vegas and Kansas City, the first game, ugh, those are going to be two bad games. You might as well just watch the NBA and not that I'm trying to be a shill for the association, but I could be bothered or couldn't be bothered with dealing with Giants-Eagles, Tommy DeVito against the Philly faithful and having off of a 63 point performance watch the Raiders put up a stinker there in Arrowhead in the first game 1 o'clock there a week from today but for the rest of the association let's take a look as we break it all down the Celtics are the first to get to 20 is that a big deal? No but they've won 5 in a row and have played well here as they have a game and a half lead, two in the loss over Milwaukee. Same for the Sixers, two full games right now. And they actually beat the Magic the other day, or really yesterday, the Celtics finally, because the Magic have had the Celtics number here over the last year and a half. So at least they got a win under their belt against that young Magic squad who are 16-9. and nine. And the rest of the East is where you would see, I know Miami's starting to creep up here a little bit. The Knicks are in the 5 seed, or excuse me, in the 6 seed right now before you get to that 7 through 10 range of Indiana, Cleveland, Brooklyn, and Toronto. You have the Hawks who are also tied with Toronto there, but are on the outside looking in at this very moment. The Bulls are a game back, but two in the loss of that 10th spot with Toronto. And then after that, it falls off. The T-Wolves continue to play well as they're currently still in first place, 19-5. and five. A shock when you think about it. But the one team that is on the rise are the Clippers. They've won seven in a row. Whatever that early season malaise, they've finally been able to snap out of it. Maybe now that they have gotten it in gear, they could start to inch closer toward the top of the Western Conference as they're currently just a game behind Denver for the four seed. Uh, As a matter of fact, a game behind Denver and Dallas for the three and four seeds and they're not that far off so they've gone past the Lakers and mind you when you look at the bottom rung of the Western Conference Sacramento as I just talked about 
with their performance yesterday in Keegan Bradley. They are 15 and 9, where the Clippers are 15 and 10. But you have that stretch from Oklahoma City to Phoenix, who are currently 10th in the Western Conference. They're all separated by three games. So we could come back on Thursday and we'll have a mishmash and jumbled standings there out west to where I'm sure there's going to be a lot of jockeying going on there over the next few days, especially a week from today as we get to that Christmas Day schedule. So the NBA continues to march along here. The Warriors are on the outside, as I talked about, currently in 11th place in the conference, two games behind the 10th seeded Phoenix Suns as of right this moment. And... One more game before John Moran comes back. And I know I talked about that last week. So we'll keep an eye on what Ja is going to do upon his return from his 25-game suspension because of all the pomp and circumstance and just the bad decisions that he made there. What was it? About six, eight months ago. So that's what you have there in the association. And also the Spurs. Let's talk about them real quick because I did talk about how they had lost 18 straight and how I forgot about the Detroit Pistons, and I'll put them on ice just for a second, but the only reason why I brought up the Spurs last week is because of the number one overall pick, Victor Wembanyama. how this was a guy that a lot of people think is going to be the future face of the NBA, and not to put all the pressure on him in his first year, but considering a guy of his length, his stature, and all the hype, and yes, he has had some good games, but certainly has not carried the Spurs team to any type of respectability, And I thought they may be on the verge of losing 20 straight. Well, what happened? They beat the Lakers on Friday night there in San Antonio before getting back to the loss column, losing to New Orleans. I actually thought that the Lakers would beat them and then New Orleans would win yesterday. Or I should say the Lakers would beat them and then for the Spurs to beat New Orleans to where they would have snapped their losing streak and it would have been at 19 if that were the case. But they did snap it at 18. But... The only reason why I brought them up last week was because of Wembenyama and all of the hype that was surrounding the young kid and a Spur team that we thought would play a lot better than they have. But if you're Monty Williams, and I get it, growing pains, young team, and remember, he's getting paid a king's ransom to the tune where Greg Popovich got paid, what, five for 80 and Monty Williams got paid five for 78 and a half. Well, I'm sure the front office and the hierarchy are probably thinking, wait a second, we're paying Monty Williams, a very good guy, a great guy, respectable throughout the NBA no matter what, but we've paid him how much and he's only given us two wins out of the first 26 games of this year to the point where they've lost now 23 straight. So do the math. They started their year 2-1 and one, and since then they have not won a game. 23 in a row. So here I am laughing at the Spurs and how they're not going to be able to get to 20 or will they lose 20 games in a row? And the Detroit Pistons said, wait a second, hold my beer. Because right now they're on a pace to lose God knows how many more games in a row. 25, 30, etc. And let's look at the Pistons schedule real quick because is there a win in sight? Watch it be tonight against the Hawks even though it's on the road. So that is one that In their next game, do they have a possibility to win in Atlanta to snap this just dreadful losing streak? Now, after that, they have Utah in their building, and then they have a home-and-home against Brooklyn where they go to Brooklyn on Saturday, and then Brooklyn goes to Detroit there on Tuesday before going to Boston, Toronto, Houston, and then they have a West Coast trip. 
So let's see. Will the Pistons be able to snap this 23-game losing streak and counting before we get to the podcast on Thursday, which they only have the one game tonight, and then they do play Utah on Thursday. So we shall see. It's either going to be 24 or a one-game winning streak the next time we reconvene. Now as I lace up my skates to take a trip around the ice in the NHL, and not much has really gone on here. I know the big story when we're looking at teams that are going to be in contention this year, and with the Dallas Stars, who have had a very good year, and have been in the mix with the Central, and even in the Western Conference going back to last year, and even the last few years for that matter, made it to a cup in 2020, but their goaltender, Jake Edinger, Suffered a lower body injury the other night and who knows how long he's going to be out. That's going to be a key loss for a team that's hanging in there with Winnipeg as well as Colorado in the Central Division. So that's one injury that I'm sure the dying little hockey fan is going to pay attention to. But for those who are casual followers or is curious to know the latest and greatest is what's happening with some of the upper echelon teams. And not to say that Dallas is an upper echelon team, but they're a team that is going to of course, take notice in that division that have been battle-tested. They know how to win. And let's see whether or not Edinger, how long he's going to be out and if they're going to sustain his absence with just hanging in there and at least being within arm's length of first place where currently the Avalanche reside. So that is the only big news that's come out over the last few days. I know Calgary's getting their goaltender back, Jacob Markstrom, but they've been floundering this year, hovering in mediocrity at 12, 14, and 5. And then the Avs made a trade there with the Kraken just, uh, I think it was just yesterday, where nothing big, nothing earth-shattering or mind-blowing for that matter, but the Avalanche traded Tomas Tatar. He was a guy that was on the Devils who they made a trade for last year and has not done well this year. I believe he's only scored one goal this year. And has 9 points total in 27 games. So they ship him to Seattle. Which I'm sure could use a lot of offense. As they've had some injuries there. Over the past even couple of years. But more so this year as we know. It can't go back to last year. But the one guy Andre Burakovsky. Who's been in and out of the lineup. Dating back to a year ago. And has not been fully healthy. So they try to see if they could resuscitate. Some goal scoring prowess with Tatar. But other than that. NHL like I said. Just rather low key. Rather quiet. Not much there happening. You haven't had teams that have gone on to some big winning streaks. I know we talked about Edmonton the other day winning eight in a row. And now they've lost two in a row. And interestingly enough, Edmonton will be in my neck of the woods for the next week. As they'll play the Islanders tomorrow. The Devils on Wednesday in New Jersey. And they'll cap that off with a game at Madison Square Garden on Friday. Would love to go. But this time of year is difficult for yours truly. I want to see Connor McDavid live. I have to see him live. And you know what? If I get the opportunity to do so here, if I could finagle my way to get into one of the two buildings, more so probably the Garden on Friday, I'm not making it out to Newark or even to Long Island, and I'm an Islander fan, but it's a Tuesday, middle of the week, work, etc. That's going to be highly impossible, so I'll get to see Edmonton here up close and personal as they visit here over the next three or four days. And besides that, Flyers have played well. Six points behind the Rangers, first place there in the Metropolitan. Vegas continues to be Vegas, the defending cup champs. Vancouver also played well. A lot of good teams in the NHL. And not to say that they're all going to be 
Cup contenders, whether you are the Vancouver Canucks of the world or even the Flyers for that matter, Winnipeg, the Kings, teams like that. But that's the one thing, parodying the NHL. Now, you do have some bad teams, of course. And give it up for San Jose. I know I was picking on them when they started their year. What was it? 0-10-1, I believe it was. And maybe they were going to threaten the Capitals record of 8-67-5. Well, boy, did they take me to the back of the woodshed and shut me up because... They have won nine games since that 0-11-1 start. So kudos to San Jose for turning their season around. And then you have the Blackhawks with also nine wins as they're going to have their growing pains too with Connor Bedard and company. But that's what you have in the NHL. And then to wrap up with baseball, a few notes there. The Dodgers are looking to see if they can own the, I'm not going to say the title, Maybe the unofficial title of champs of the offseason. Obviously with Otani, and we've talked about that a couple of times last week. But they also traded for Tyler Glasnow, the talented yet oft-injured star pitcher of the former Tampa Bay Rays as they got him in a deal where they sent a young pitcher and an outfield prospect to Tampa. And not only that, but it was also contingent on the Dodgers signing him to a long-term deal, which they did five years, I believe $136 million. So now you have Glasnow to go along with, who knows? Does that mean Yamamoto is not too far off in the distance? Now you hope to get Walker Bueller back, who's been on the shelf dating back to 2022 with Tommy John. Does Clayton Kershaw come back for one more year? You know, Otani's not going to pitch next year. That's going to be in 2025. But the makings of this rotation, you want to throw Bobby Miller in there, the young stud who was the rookie that came up this year. They still need one more piece of that puzzle if they want to have a deep postseason run as we have not seen with the Dodgers here over the last couple of years. So they have Glasnow in the mix. You got to wonder about his health though. That is a big question mark. And then... You want to pencil in Kershaw, he's going to come back for one more year, stay in a Dodger uniform. Why would he go elsewhere, getting to the twilight of his career? But we all know Kershaw is not the same guy that he was five, six, seven years ago. And in the postseason, he's never really been that guy, although he's had flashes. And then is Yoshi, and you know me with the names, people, is Yoshi Yamamoto, and I'm cutting his name short, because I believe it's Yoshinobu, is he going to be that final piece to not only the starting rotation, but to the Dodger puzzle overall to get them to where they could be that team that has made all the right moves this postseason and champion them before one pitch has even been made for the next season, which won't start until March of 2024. It's sure looking that way. And who knows if Yamamoto is the front runner there in LA with the Dodgers or here in New York with the Mets or Yanks. If the Red Sox are going to be a team that's going to swoop in and try to seduce Yamamoto to come into Beantown. Right now, that's been a secret. And who knows what's going to happen with Blake Snell. That's also been under wraps for whatever the reason. And some of the other big free agents that are out there, Cody Bellinger is another one. So the hot stove. Continues to stay cool after that just blazing week with Otani news. Nothing has come out other than the trade here with Glasnow that we could really wrap our arms around or really sink our teeth into to get into this hot stove because it has been anything but that here over the last, 
I'll say a couple of weeks. And that even includes the Juan Soto trade and having Otani come in. And of course, those big stars and big news. But other than that, you've got nothing. Because Glasnow, let's face it, good pitcher, but he hasn't really established himself as one of the top pitchers in the sport. And who knows? Going to LA, renewed faith, restored confidence, maybe he could stay healthy, maybe he could contribute to a big-time team, which is probably going to win 100 games in his sleep. But other than that, it has been slim pickings when it comes to what's happened in baseball here during this hot stove season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And who knows if there's going to be anything happening throughout the course of this week leading into Christmas. As we've seen historically that's happened, maybe not so much over the last half decade or so, but generally you may have a gift under your tree for whichever team that you may root for, whether that be a Blake Snell or Yamamoto or a guy like Cody Bellinger where he may be sparkling and shining where you get to unwrap it, whether right before Christmas Christmas Eve or on Christmas, but we'll have to wait and see on whether that's going to happen here in the days and not only that, week to come. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for investing and carving out your precious moments, minutes, time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Also, follow my channel on YouTube at J Reels. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion, you could do so there or on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X J Reels One, just a number, or the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. I got a lot coming down the pike. You definitely want to keep your ears peeled to this podcast on a week-in, week-out basis, and especially on YouTube as I'll reveal what's going to take place here as we get into the new year and beyond. I got a lot cooking, and I got some surprises. Big-time surprises. And I mean it. I am not pulling any punches. I am not trying to tease, although this is a little bit of a teaser because I'm not relinquishing or revealing what's lying ahead, but stay tuned. Please do so because I will continue to deliver not only the current sports news, what's going on, what's happening, etc., with nothing but fire, passion, fury, energy, with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, critiques, praise, analysis, on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.